the Whip Around, Swish Appeal's weekly women's basketball show hosted by me, Sabrina Merchant. With two weeks left in the WNBA regular season, I wanted to take some time today to talk about the league's updated playoff format, which will be in place for the first time during the 2022 postseason. I've been thinking a lot about how to design a playoff racket and what objectives the postseason has to fulfill. At the heart of it, all that really has to happen is a postseason crowns champion. But in the process, the league and the fans also want playoffs that are exciting, while not so random as to produce undeserving winners. Higher seeds should probably have an advantage, but not too much. And ideally, a postseason tournament underscores the results of the regular season, or at least doesn't invalidate the regular season entirely. It's a lot of mouths to feed, and the WNBA hit most of those targets with its previous playoff format. Two rounds of single elimination leading into two five-game series created a lot of drama. Single elimination tends to do that. And it also created an incentive at the end of the regular season for teams to fight for higher seeds to earn those buys in the first two rounds. Up until 2021, the first five years of that format produced champions that were all number one and number two seeds, so all of the title winners felt deserving. The one major problem with that arrangement was that the number three and number four seeds were only guaranteed one playoff game, which seemed unfair for teams that had performed so well during the regular season. And last year in 2021, those number three and number four seeds, Minnesota and Seattle, were both eliminated after one game, creating some impetus for a change. Now, all eight playoff teams participate in the first round of the playoffs, a three-game series with the higher seed hosting the first two games and the lower seed hosting a deciding third game if necessary. The WNBA has experimented with a 1-1-1 format in the three-game series and 1-2, but decided that this was the best way to limit travel and reward the higher seeds. It does mean that some teams who make the playoffs won't have a home game, but that was already the case in the previous setup, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. Before the start of the season, I was a little worried that this new arrangement would reduce the incentive to fight for a higher seed, since all four of the top seeds were basically in the same position. But with the top five WNBA teams establishing a clear hierarchy over the rest, there is real value in being third versus fourth, and even fourth versus fifth to earn home court. You can imagine that neither Seattle nor Washington wants to travel across the country to play the other team in what is currently that 4-5 matchup. So the incentives are different this year, but they're still meaningful. It remains to be seen if any team will shut it down over the final week or so of the regular season to rest for the playoffs. But thankfully, we haven't yet seen any indication of the top teams doing anything but playing hard through the end. The real problem now is how many teams make the playoffs. The WNBA is unique among major American professional sports leagues with two-thirds of its teams advancing to the postseason. The NBA, NHL, NWSL, NFL, and even Major League Baseball range from 40 to 53% of their teams making the playoffs. What the WNBA has, 67%, 
is significantly more. It's arguably too many, considering the quality of teams that are still in position to make the postseason. Let's take a look at last year. The eighth seed was 12-20, and 20, and the Liberty made the playoffs despite losing eight consecutive games at the end of the season. They did manage to make it not nine by winning their last game against Washington to claim a three-way tie over the Mystics and the Sparks, but Washington and L.A. each lost five of their last seven games, too. It wasn't exactly a playoff race in the best sense of the word. This season, six teams are in contention for the final three playoff spots, and it's possible that another team could back its way into the postseason. New York has multiple losing streaks of at least five games and hasn't won three in a row all year. Minnesota was 3-13 and at one point. The Sparks have 10 double-digit losses, and it's unclear if the Atlanta Dream are even trying to make the playoffs given their organizational rebuild. And yet, at least one of those teams, maybe more, will be in a three-game series in the middle of August. I'm just not sure that we need that many playoff teams. There would still be a heated race if these six teams were fighting for one spot, and it would actually bring out some quality because none of them could luck into a postseason berth. The reason why the playoffs are more exciting than the regular season isn't just because of the stakes. It's because, generally speaking, only the good teams are playing. But in the WNBA, that's just not really the case. I had this feeling last year when the league was modifying its playoff format, and I feel the same way now. Half the league making the postseason, six teams out of 12, is more than enough. The postseason club needs to be more exclusive. I also think that would make the lottery more interesting if more middling teams, instead of the objectively bad ones, had a chance at the top college talent. Now, I'm against the idea of a draft on principle, but as long as it exists, let's add more teams to the lottery pool and and disincentivize tanking and extended rebuilds. And of course, all of this can and should be reassessed if and when expansion happens. One of the teams that is making a push, quote-unquote, for the playoffs this season is the Minnesota Lynx, who have rallied admirably from their 3-13 start. And at 12-19, 538 projects them to make the playoffs in 37% of their simulations. If Nafisa Collier were to return from maternity leave for the postseason, that would be a pretty devastating lower seed, but I don't think a team that is seven games under 500 realistically should be in the playoff hunt with two weeks left in the regular season. But to talk about the Lynx, I brought on Jack Borman of Canis Hoopus, our SB Nation site for both the Lynx and the Minnesota Timberwolves. We talked about why the Lynx started off so poorly, what has changed since, and what the franchise's outlook is after Sylvia Fowles' retirement. Jack also shared some great still stories that you're definitely going to want to stick around for. All right, I'm really excited to be joined by Jack Borman to talk about the Lynx and a lot of Sylvia Fowles, I'm hoping. How are you doing, Jack? I'm crazy, Sabrina. How are you? I'm doing well. I was doing better before the Lynx absolutely stomped on the Sparks yesterday. But hey, uh, just like the good old days, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Just like the good old days. I have a, I have a feeling that 2017 will we'll make uh, make an appearance at some point. Make an appearance at some Fowles. point. Yeah. I do enjoy when teams regularly meet in the postseason. And the fact that the Lynx and the Sparks got to do that for, I think, four years in a row still pretty cool um three years in a row but anyway and uh, the fact that it lingers what is it five years later now just makes it even better that it there's, does there's linger. never any love lost you know i was thinking at the start of the game yesterday how are the sparks going to honor sylvia fowles without this being awkward because she's clearly responsible for one of like the very 
deep low points of this franchise's <laughs> recent history. And I was like, oh, you just have Simone Augustus do the presentation. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure that that Cheryl was thrilled to, to have Sparks assistant coach. I know. Sparks God. assistant coach Simone Augustus uh, come to town to get her jersey retired. I, I'm sure she wishes it could have been under different circumstances. That is that's... a story that we'll have to dig into at some other time. But <laughs> for now, uh, as much as I love money, she is not the most interesting part of what I want to talk about regarding the Minnesota Lynx. <laughs> but hey. Uh, the Lynx are in a very similar position uh, to a lot of other teams in the WNBA right now. We've got six teams competing for three playoff spots, all within two losses of each other, which is absolutely bonkers, honestly. Uh, three losses, I guess. The Dallas Wings are slightly ahead of the pack. But I kind of wanted to just back up a little bit with the Minnesota Lynx because they're coming off of the season where they're the number three seed. And, you know, they have that unfortunate loss to Chicago in the second round in that single elimination, I think. A big part of the reason, honestly, that we no longer have that playoff format in the WNBA. But other and than think, and, and I think Sorry, they were the, they came the closest to knocking off Chicago too. I think, you know, if I remember correctly, the sky just kind of stormed their way through until they got to the finals in that last, you know, that last go around with the Mercury. Yeah. It was a very impressive run for Chicago and totally unexpected and has a number succeed. But hey, again. Another reason why I think the playoff format has changed. But, you know, Minnesota comes into this year. They basically have everybody left over from last year's team, except for the obvious absence of Nafisa Collier, who was pregnant at the start of the season and is now on maternity leave. Let's start with the very beginning. There was like this mass exodus of what I thought were very important players to the Minnesota Lynx at the start of the year. We've got Angel McCautry agreeing to a contract in Boris. Laisha Clarenton doesn't make the final roster. Neither does Odyssey Sims. Crystal Dangerfield gets waived. Renaya Davis, before even playing the game, gets waived. I don't think I was alone in being confused at what was happening in Minnesota to begin the year. Do you have a way of explaining what was going on at the start of the year, Jack? Yeah, I, th- I think the, the best way that I can kind of loop all of those players into to one bucket or, or generalization, I guess, is just that Cheryl went with players from my view uh, of who she could trust. And, you know, I, I think that Cheryl is, is someone uh, whose trust is very difficult to earn, but once you gain her trust, you know, she, she'll stick with you through rough patches. And, and to start with Angel, um, you know, I th- she's known Angel for, for a long, long time through, through WNBA circles, USAB, um, I believe the, the first championship or the second championship um, that, that the Lynx won uh, were, you know, as a result of some epic battles with with McCautry Dream Team, which was just a joy to watch. And you know, I think that that Cheryl trusted that uh, that Angel was going to be healthy, and she just wasn't there. You know, I think you know some of the some of the beat writers, myself, were just kind of looking around at each other, like, is is this what healthy looks like for Angel McCautry at this point? Because uh, mm-hmm. we just didn't see that there was a healthy player there. And clearly not. Uh, and, the, and the same thing was kind of there with with Laisha Clarendon. I think all of us really grew fond of, of Lay as a leader and, and as a player who was really physical at, at both ends in the PNR last year. Uh, mm-hmm. And when we saw them in practice uh, in, in the preseason in, in training camp, she just didn't look like the same player that, that we had come across, accustomed to seeing last year. You know, and I think on some level, Cheryl had to have known that he just wasn't right Uh, Mm -hmm. and 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 I think obviously when you get to coach a player for for most of the season last year and then 
kind of see them come in this year. You know, I, I think you kind of have to trust Gerald's evaluation there. Uh, Lay, Lay came into Minnesota several times uh, during the offseason last year. And Cheryl obviously had had a good look at them and was a big fan of, of who she was as a player. But, uh, you know, I think obviously you need your point guard to be really healthy. And, mm-hmm. you know, I guess it's kind of ironic bringing in someone like Mariah Jefferson, who struggled with with injuries for the latter, the, you know, the better part of the last few years. But it's worked out well there. Um, and then, you know, sticking just with with point guard, I guess, and going down the line with Crystal Dangerfield and Odyssey Sims, like with Crystal, this was one where, you know, I, I honestly thought that, that people were, that were really confused about this one uh, maybe weren't thinking as much about the rest of the roster and the bigger picture, I, I guess, because Crystal Dangerfield struggled last season. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think that, that Crystal was really good off the dribble and kind of getting into the paint and collapsing the defense. And I guess in that regard, certainly could have been shaping up uh, for the links to miss that. But um, you know, Rachel Bannum is, is one of the truly elite three-point shooters in the WNBA. And I think she's proven that this year. And I think obviously it was, you know, not something that was as cemented then as it is now, um, but, but she has phenomenal synergy with Sylvia Fowles. Um, she's, she's very close with still off the floor and on the floor. Um, and, and Rachel is, it is, probably the most well-liked non-sill or fee player on the team. And, and, you know, it's very evident that the energy that she brings just galvanizes everybody, brings everybody closer together. She makes everything fun. And, and she, and she, and, and like I said, she really adds the trust of Cheryl Reeves. So um, I think that that's the big thing there between her and Crystal is the shooting and the trust and the leadership um, were, were, you know, three really big check boxes for, for Reeve and the team um and that's proven to be really a, a great uh decision that they went with Rachel. Rachel's brought them out, brought them out of some pretty big holes this season. Has had some really awesome shooting nights and wins that that's been really important for this team. And then with with Renai, I think it was just simply she had more trust in Bridget Carlton. Um BC had a great year last year, really had a knack for making clutch plays. Mm-hmm. Hasn't been there as much this year, but but, you know, I think other players would tell you too. like, if there's any one player who knows the scout better than anyone or knows where she's supposed to be, can play multiple positions because she knows the scout so well, I think they would say it's probably BC. And then the Odyssey one, really, Sabrina, is the only one that I can't put my finger on. Okay. Um, you know, Cheryl really, really was adamant about not talking about it further in the time. Okay. Um, you know, she just said, that Odyssey was handling a personal matter. And she, and, and she said that once. And, and then before anyone could ask a follow-up, she said, and I will not be answering this further. She said it with a lot of conviction. And someone, of course, you know, responsibly tried to ask a follow-up. So, and, and she just shut it down right away. She said, Odyssey was handling a personal, like she said it with, you know, kind of staccato, like separating mm-hmm. everything. Like she was really frustrated. And I don't know if that was out of, you know, concern for for Odyssey and and what that personal matter was. I'm not sure, but, um, you know, I I think probably the timing of, of, you know, getting Mo on the same day that, that I think it might've honestly been, um, been a contract divorce. I'm not sure if it was just a simple waving or not, but, but I do think that the timing of it probably had to do with, with Mo being available um, and Cheryl, you know, understanding Mariah's game and Mariah having played with, uh, with Kayla McBride, uh, in San Antonio. Um, so I think that that, 
that that probably all all factored into all of that. But but yeah, it was getting the getting the the press release of links transaction updates. You just kind of knew that you were what in a for, freaking email that was. You were you were in for something. There was just like it was kind of just like the most extreme game of you know you have the three cups and they're moving the cups around and you have to follow the, oh. you know, the lock or whatever's in the cup. But doing that with like eight different things was just crazy. So. Yeah. But but definitely glad that, that we're past that point of the season, just just from a coverage standpoint. Now we've kind of got a roster that, that we've been able to see here. Yeah, I guess I didn't even realize that the Sims and Mariah Jefferson timelines matched up so neatly. But I mean, obviously, it's been a, just a, a delightful addition to have Mo on on the links. I think <laughs> I think WMA.com had her headlined as must win Mariah Jefferson yesterday, which was kind of fun after that uh, game against the Sparks. But I do think it's interesting that we've like, you know, run into year three of Cheryl Reeve building a Minnesota Lynx roster that doesn't have the right point guard at the start of the season. Like it was supposed to be Odyssey Sims in 2020. And then, you know, she's coming off of pregnancy and clearly it's just not working. And so they turned to Crystal Dangerfield and then Dangerfield is unable to handle in 21. So they turned to Leisha Clarenton and then Leisha Clarenton among several other point guards, as you've just discussed, is unable to handle it in 22. <laughs> and in comes Mariah Jefferson. It's like this curse that Lindsay Whalen has left on the position since she left. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, I, I think, you know, being a first time head coach uh, or a second year head coach and being able to bring in, you know, a hall of fame point guard who mm-hmm. just so happens to be a Minnesota native to the Minnesota Lynx. Yeah. Um, it, it was just, you know, the stars aligning at the perfect moment. And maybe Cheryl know, just think- has really high expectations now. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's exactly what I I was going to say is yeah. just that, you know, I, I think she's she's got really high standards for for what she wants in a point guard. And, you know, to be fair, she had she really, really wanted to go get Lindsay Whalen at the time that it happened and mm-hmm. it worked out. And her evaluation, although she wasn't, you know, the GM during that time, obviously, with how small WNBA organizations are, um, you know, there are there are much um you know, the, 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 the decision-making pool, I guess, is much smaller. So obviously the coach has a huge say in all of that stuff. And so, you know, being able to bring in Lindsay Whalen and, and see the way that she conducted just one of the greatest rosters of a, of a dynasty team in the history of, of American sports, probably with how dominant that crew was um, to, to live a life after Lindsay Whalen undoubtedly has to be hard, especially when, you know, you lose, you also lose, you know, Simone Augustus, um, Rebecca Brunson, the winningest player ever. Um, it, it's my more. Yeah. And my more obviously too. And so, you know, you, you want to, you want to feel like you, you can repay someone like Sylvia Fowles who, you know, who stuck it out after that. And, and, you know, Cheryl Reeve went to Syl and said, Hey, if you want to win, I'll trade you. We'll work to trade you because you deserve it. And, Still said, no, I, I want to win here. I owe it to you. I owe it to this team, the franchise to stick it out. And, um, you know, not being able to get the right point guard, I think has been tough, um, you know, undoubtedly ever since then. But, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just high standards. And, you know, I, I guess that's just life after, after being blessed with, with a hall of famer, you know, on the floor, off the floor, like, like Lindsay Whalen is. I mean, that's just so many names that you've just mentioned, <laughs> like all of the greatness that has flown through Minnesota in the past decade or so. It's just 
it's really an astounding level of talent, honestly. Sometimes yeah. hard to wrap your head around. Um, it, it really, it really is walking through the halls at Target Center, Mayo Clinic Square, where the practice facility is. I mean, all the pictures that you see are just incredible. And then, you know, you have the the Jersey retirements for Simone Augustus and Rebecca Brunson, and you see mm-hmm. all the different names that come on the screen to to talk about, you know, their former teammates or their former players. And it's just incredible to think about it and to think that like, I got to grow up watching that. And that was really a huge reason why I, I loved basketball more because it sure as hell wasn't the wolves that were, <laughs> no. that were instilling that love in me. So <laughs> to be able to watch them and kind of get to know some of them now has just been, has just been an incredible experience. And, you know, to, to be the conductor of all of that, if you're Cheryl Reeve, you, you just want to keep finding that next Lindsay Whalen, but, but there yeah. will, uh, there will never be another one, unfortunately. So, so speaking of being the conductor of all of that, Cheryl Reeve is now, you know, head coach and GM of the Minnesota Lynx. And so she, gets the last say essentially in terms of whether the team wants to go all out and compete or if they think it's time to hit a reset or a rebuild, which, you know, maybe some people thought was going to happen when, as Cheryl puts it, the band broke up in 2018 and hasn't, you know, they've made the playoffs every year since, although this year is in a little bit of flux. And I found it really interesting when she was speaking prior to the Sparks game yesterday that uh, she said something to the effect of, the, the cycles, like the life cycles of basketball teams just sort of happen organically and they might be arriving at a point where it's time to hit a reset button for this particular group with Sylvia Fowles retiring. And to me, that would be a much easier reset if you got a lottery pick this year. <laughs> so I'm curious, just having followed the team really closely, do you think that the Lynx would be better served by making the playoffs and continuing that string of success that has, you know, been in place since 2011? Or do you think they'd be better off with a top pick for the first time in a decade? Honestly, I think that they would be better off making the playoffs. And okay. the reason why I say that is I think, you know, around the league, fans, surely other coaches, you know, players on other teams who, who have been jealous of of the success that Cheryl has had, you know, are, have been really eager to see her or her teams fail. And, and I think you're and not th- wrong, Jack. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, if the Lynx were to miss the playoffs, I think it would hurt the team quite a bit that, you know, the word would be the Lynx couldn't even get into the playoffs in Sylvia Fowles last year, let alone not win a ring, you know? And I think that, that that would hurt more than, you know, you know, really playing this, this lottery game in the draft. That's even more of a lottery, I guess, than, than it would be even if you could get the number one or number two pick, because something that, you know, has to be part of the conversation is, you know, we don't even know if Paige Beckers is going to come out or if Aaliyah Boston is going to come out. Players just make so much more money in endorsements and NIL money playing at mm-hmm. the college level than they could at the, at the end, excuse me, at the WNBA level solely because those players, you know, in the SEC, they have a contract with ESPN, uh, the big East. A lot of those games are on ESPN or featured on national TV. Like we got games, like we, we got Caitlin Clark versus versus page in UConn last year, which was incredible. And I just don't know if that exposure is there for those players from a, from a marketing and, uh, sponsorships perspective. Um, and if you couldn't, you know, guarantee that that you could convince Paige Beckers who grew up 
15 minutes from target center that <laughs> to come out and come play for the links and be the point guard for the next 10 years. Um, you know, I think, I think it's hard. And I, and I think I would rather have the sure thing of making the playoffs and saying, you know, at least we, we gave still a chance, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it opens the door for fee to be able to come back um, and, and be able to, to try and help the team in that run. But, um, you know, it's, it, I, I just think there's too much uncertainty with the draft relative to, you know, a normal year or kind of the, the pre NIL era, if you will. I think that's an excellent point, honestly. And one that I hadn't really given much consideration to, like, I'm just of the belief that there's at least one generational talent in this draft, potentially more, depending on how the, you know, juniors decide to play this out. And it just seems so perfect to replace one generational talent in Sylvia Fowles with another one who sensibly plays the same position. The narrative arc of it is so wonderful to me that I I I think the Lynx would be better off just taking that chance, you know, for, you know, once in a generation kind of player like Leah Boston. But I also agree with you that, I mean, she could just take a COVID year and decide to play a fifth year in college. And I don't know, who knows, maybe South Carolina is going for a three-peat at that point. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And even if you do get into the lottery, like, who's say you don't fall to the third or fourth pick? And then what what are we really dealing with that's so different than the fifth or sixth pick, right? So right. I, I do think that that's a totally valid way of looking at it. And I mean, it's kind of nice to be able to say that you haven't missed the playoffs since 2010, right? Like, that's just a nice string of success to market yourself to free agents with. Obviously that's worked for Minnesota in the recent past. They just signed Kale McBride and Ariel Powers last off season. Clearly this is a team that draws good players. And part of that is because they keep winning. Right. And yeah, and, you got to keep winning to keep that going. <laughs> right. And, and the thing is, is, you know, Sylvia Fowles, $200,000 contract, obviously will come off the books and the mm-hmm. Lynx will have some money to be able to play with. Demiris Dantes comes off the books um so so though that's you know that's 340 ish thousand dollars that you have to play with when you've got some some pretty impactful front court players that that are you know becoming available uh yeah. and i i think if you could tell me right now that you know the links would have the number one or the number two pick and you know both of those players be it page and Aaliyah, uh would come out I, I would i would certainly say that that going through the draft would be the better way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Um, just from obviously I, I, you know, getting a page journal is much more valuable than, you know, the opportunity cost of other teams saying, Hey, look at you. You didn't do this for sale. Right. Um, especially when, you know, a lot of these, these teams haven't necessarily helped in terms of the whole, you know, giving Syl as much exposure and celebrating her in the same way that they celebrated some other players. But you know, it'll, it'll just be really fascinating to see what happens over these last two weeks because you know, it, it's certainly an uphill climb for the Lynx. Um, I think 538 has them at 37% chance of making the playoffs. And, you know, their, their hand might be forced one way or the other, no matter how much they, they try. And Cheryl said last night that they're they're desperately doing everything they can to give Syl another shot. Mm-hmm. Um, she's one of the greatest human beings ever, and she deserves it. Syl does, but but I, I just don't know if they're they're going to have enough to get there, unfortunately. Looking ahead to next year a little bit, because I I don't want to be disrespectful to the Lynx, but I do feel that even if they make the playoffs, they're not going to be among the contenders that I'm considering oh, for, for sure. the WNBA title. For sure. <laughs> um, even though, you know, they, they had that week where they beat the Aces and the Skies, so Lord knows what could happen. But 
just looking ahead, let's say Nafisa Collier comes back and she is Nafisa Collier again. What else do you think this team really needs to, you know, put it in that point where we're talking about them with the aces in the sky? Yeah, I think it really all starts with how healthy you think Mariah Jefferson can be next year. Uh, Obviously, she's got an extensive injury history. Uh, If you watch her play, she's like a pinball and a pinball machine. She's incredibly explosive. She flies around, but but she takes a ton of contact, hits the ground hard, you know, multiple times a game. Um, So if she can be healthy, I don't really think that they need to upgrade the point guard position, honestly, just because there's been so many games where where Mo's been really dynamic. Um, and, and has been good enough there where I, you know, I think obviously at, at the center spot that that's the number one, you know, that's the number one thing you got to look at there. Um, you know, Brianna Jones is an option who, who's going to be a, a free agent, um, you know, and, and is someone who Cheryl Reeve has, has spoken glowingly about, um, you know, prior to the, the, the two home games that they had against the sun. She, she heaped a ton of praise on, on Brianna Jones. She, she certainly could be an option there if there's a money squeeze in Connecticut, um, you know, maybe a player like Emma Mieseman, uh, that that's one that's going to be interesting. Um, I don't know if Kayla McBride is going to put her recruitment hat on because she's going to be starting alongside Brianna Stewart and Emma Mieseman next year, uh, <laughs> for, for Fenerbahce. So that, that might be, that might be one hell of a job for, for K-Mac. Uh, but Mieseman just kind of plays in the way that, that the Lynx like to play with, you know, forwards, the elbows, being able to pass and, and do everything from the high post. Um, that was kind of the, the kind of what spawned the Lynx's offensive resurgence was actually when Sil got hurt and they, and they played that way um, and weren't trying to force the ball into the post so much and just played more free flowing and unselfish basketball. Um, so that, that could be interesting. Um, and, and who knows, maybe Demir Stantis might not be back. Um, or if she is back, it might be at the vet minimum. So there's some more options for them, you know, to look elsewhere financially at, at other forward options. And then, then I think they're going to look at, at shooting guard, small forward depth as well. Um, you know, Bridget Carlton has been a really good shooter the last few years for the Lynx. Um, been a, been a pretty good, you know, def- versatile defensive piece and, and Reeve really trusts her, but, but the shooting just has not been there this season. Um, she's been a step slow on defense as well. And you've just kind of been asking yourself, like, you know, when is it going to come? You know, the, when are the shots going to start falling? Uh, and they just haven't so far this year. Uh, and she hasn't been as, as big of a piece as she was last year. And and who knows, depending on, on how all the how the, all the financial, uh, you know, things play out, uh, that that could be an option. But but it'll it'll certainly be focused in the front court and, and trying to to reshape you know, what, what the links will be in, in a world, uh, without Sylvia Fowles, which is just sad to say, but, um, yeah. that's reality. So I tried so hard not to interrupt you there when you said Brie Jones, cause I, oh my God, I love that fit. What an incredible <laughs> inspired idea that is to bring Brie Jones to the Minnesota links. I'm going to not stop thinking about this until <laughs> February 1st when she signs a new contract. <laughs> what a great idea. I did not realize that K-Mac was playing with Stewie and Misaman this off season. It's like, yeah. E-cat redux. I was going to say, because were they both teammates of Brittany Griner overseas? Yep. Not yeah. this past season, but definitely in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And, and weren't the Vanderquigs on that team too? Yep. What an incredibly oh, loaded team. I know. I, I often wonder if you put Team USA against ECAT, what that matchup would look like. I mean, you'd have to be like a video game simulation because Stewie and PG are on both teams, but it would be fascinating. I, man, I, I hope we're, I hope someone from 2K hears this and we can, we can get something <laughs> set up with some, some top EuroLeague teams. It'd be, it'd be a ton of fun, but man, K-Max got her work set out for, her. I haven't gotten a chance to ask her about it in practice yet, but 
we'll see. We'll see. That's a, that's a heavy job for K-Mac, but uh, <laughs> you know, that's what you got to do as leader of a team. Uh, yeah. That's right. Oh man. I am just <laughs> suddenly so excited about the future of the Minnesota Lynx, whether they make the playoffs or not, whether they're adding a top draft pick or just clearing all of the best free agents out of the market, man, Jack, you've really done a great job here. Uh, just <laughs> <laughs> last thing I want to get you out on. I had said that we were going to talk about Sylvia Fowles because obviously this is her last season and I just wanted to, you know, Go down memory lane a little bit. What what stands out to you most when you think about Sylvia Fowles and the Minnesota Lynx? The first thing I, I think about is, I, you know, I've, I've said it already, but she's one of the most incredible human beings you'll ever mm-hmm. come across. She's she's one of the nicest people. Um, she she always has a smile on her face. She brightens every single room she walks into, um, and, and everything you hear about her in, in that regard is a hundred percent true. So to, I'll just start with, with one really brief story. But when, when Cheryl was introduced as head coach of Team USA, I think it was in February, the wind chill that morning was well below zero. I think it was a Monday or a Tuesday morning. And still, of course, spends her home, her off seasons in her native Miami uh, and had just done a Ferrari shoot with, I believe, Neka Gumake and Kelsey Plum, like two or three days before that. So she was just living it up on South Beach. And nobody expected her to come, but she flew up to Minneapolis, braved the cold just to support Cheryl. But before that, she got there, she came through the doors and the media just so happened to be kind of the first people that were there. And we were standing with our back turned to the door and we just feel these big arms come around us. And Sylvia Fowles walks in with this big smile and she takes, she gives everybody a huge hug. She asks everybody how they were doing. Uh, and I'd had a couple surgeries last summer. And so that was the first thing she said. She was like, oh, oh my gosh, how are, how are your, how's your recovery going? And for, for still to do that, you know, first of all, to be there, let alone to take the time to say something like that and have a similar interaction with every other media member that was there, I think just kind of personifies exactly who she is and what she's all about. She's, she's incredibly selfless. Um, you know, there was another story Earlier this year, Demir Stantis was doing all of her rehab from a Liz Frank injury, um, and she was doing it alone. And so Syl was talking to her one day and asked, asked Didi, you know, what's the hardest part about all of it? And Didi said it was the loneliness. And Syl hadn't heard that before and didn't know. And so Syl started going in at 6.30 or 7 every single day before practice, before training camp, and did all of Didi's rehab with her. Um, whether it was in the pool, um, you know, in the weight room, whatever it was, she did all of it with Didi just so she wouldn't be lonely. And that wasn't anything ever that really like was widely publicized. It's just kind of who Syl is. And so I think kind of before the on-court moments and memories, which of, of which there aren't many, um, that, that's kind of the first thing I, I think about with, with Syl. That Dante's story is so sweet. I mean, just to go with her to rehab. I just think one of the most interesting things about Sylvia Fowles is that she's been studying to become a mortician, which is so out of whack with all of the personality I know about her. Maybe that's just the type of person you have to be to handle a job like that. But she was kind of one of the first WNBA players I remember who was so open about her second career path. Um, And I think that was just such a great example to set, you know, for other players both in the league and coming into the league, man, just 
she really just does seem like the sweetest person alive. The way she just like was dancing on the court as she got to Simone yesterday. And the fact <laughs> that like every, every city is giving bikes to her uh, foundation because they just want to be a part of the goodness that is Sylvia Fowles too. I think it just tells you all you need to know. Like there've been a lot of retirement tours. I don't remember a lot of people, you know, having teams donate things to charity on their behalf, but that's what Sylvia Fowles inspires. Yeah. I mean, and it's cool too. Like every single time she breaks milestone or breaks a record or hits a milestone, she'll, she'll just say, Oh, you know, I don't care about that unless it's breaking a Rebecca Brunson memory or uh, yeah. then, she'll, <laughs> then she'll say that feels good. But, but yeah, I mean, it, she's just, she's great. And then a couple of weeks ago she was wearing, uh, it was a game. It was after they played the wings on the front end of a back-to-back mm-hmm. and Arike Agunbowale showed up wearing a Sylvia Fowles shirt. And of course, Syl also showed up wearing a Sylvia Fowles shirt. And her and Rachel Bannum came into the, the post game to zoom together and everybody was just fixated on Syl wearing a Sylvia Fowles shirt. Syl, of course, the first thing she did was she deflected it and she said, none of you guys realize that Rachel's sitting here wearing a big buck hunter shirt while they're up on the podium. And we all just started <laughs> dying laughing because none of us noticed it because we were both also <laughs> fixated on Syl. And it was like this Minnesota themed big buck hunter shirt. And Rachel, of course, just like threw her hands up in the air, like, come on, guys, like not everything's about Syl. And she's like, it is. But you know what I mean? It was, so it was, just, it was just so funny, you know, and, and I can I'd love to hear like what your what stands out to you most about Syl on the court. But but certainly off the court is what will what I will miss most um, when, when she's she's not a part of the team next year. Yeah, I mean, she's just the best classic center I think this game has ever seen, which like it's I mean it's either her or Lisa Leslie for me but I guess recency bias would tend towards Sylvia Fowles and just the the defensive domination is really what I think of that imposing presence in the paint just making guards unwilling to even test her I mean I think about the 2016 and 17 finals all the time and like how Cheryl complained so much about the rebounding in 2016 um among other things, she complained about the Sparks, but then uh, <laughs> just the type of force that Sylvia was on the glass in 17 as they got that championship back. I mean, there were no offensive rebound putbacks for the Sparks in 2017. That was just not <laughs> happening against the Lynx, not with Sylvia Fowles there. Yeah, and and I went back and looked. She had 34 rebounds in the last two games. She had 22 and 14 in game four. Mm-hmm. on the road, went over LA and she had 17 points and 20 rebounds in, in the clincher. That's stupid. Uh, at the yeah. bar. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. And then, you know, for fun, I also looked back at just like what some of her more insane stat lines were. And I couldn't even get past the first page of Google. There were so many from last season, you know, she had mm-hmm. a 26, 19 and five game against Atlanta. And then two nights later, was the first player ever to get 30, 10, 4, 4, and 4. And that was that. Is that block steals and assists? Yep, yep. Oh, my God. And then and then she had a 20, 20, and 7 stocks game. So 20 points, 20 rebounds, and 7 combined steals and blocks like a month later. I mean, it's just – and she was doing that at 36 or 35. Yeah. So it's just – she's just timeless and – I'll always think of 2017, you know, still just dominating and, and how she got them to the finish line winning finals MVP, but it's insane to think about. Um, but, but man, you know, still sills at the sills at the front of it, at the front of it for me. I really do think it's that personality, that vibe that she brings, because as much as I thoroughly enjoy watching Nafisa Collier on the court, 
I've never gotten that same feel from her. Maybe just because she's younger and like understandably, you know, second in command <laughs> to Sylvia Fowles. But I'm curious to see what that personality leadership growth comes into play with Nafisa next year when it really is her team. But that's obviously something that's going to take some time to play out. For sure. And and I think you see Fee's personality come out a lot more in practice, you know, and behind closed doors. I think when it's just in the middle of a game, she's just like more of a, a lead by example type of player. Totally. And she builds relationships with players, obviously, you know, off the floor. And I think that kind of just helps when they're in the flow of playing together. Um, but you see it in practice. I mean, the relationship those two have is incredibly special. Um, and, you know, I, I'll never forget last year after that Sky game, she didn't know if that was it for Sill or not. Um, right. And and she didn't um, she did not have her best game. I'll say that she did. And, you know, I think she was really heartbroken thinking that, that was the last time she might ever play with her. And that was how she left it, because the two of them, I mean, she the the first thing she does almost before she credits herself is she credits Sylvia Fowles for teaching her, for being there, for, you know, they all call her Mama Sill. And right. And it and it's well earned. I mean, you know, from teaching her things on defense to, to helping her with her footwork on offense to, you know, just being someone that, you know, you can lean on as, as, you know, a, a 21 year old player coming into the league, you get this, you know, monumental, you know, giant of the game to learn from. And then you see in practice, they're constantly dancing with one another, you know, pushing each other around laughing <laughs> and they just always have fun together. And and they kick ass on the court and it's a fun and it's a fun combination. And I hope we get to see it, you know, you know, one more time, whether that's in the playoffs, I think would probably have to be in the playoffs at this point. Um, but, but yeah, I, I certainly think that, that you may see, you know, a little bit more fees personality potentially come out next season, depending on you know who they have um, or, or who they bring in, I guess, to, to try and help you know, fill the void that, that still leads behind kind of, kind of by, uh, you know, by, by committee. I mean, this has been great, Jack. Thank you so much for just all of your insight about everything that has confused me about Minnesota and, <laughs> you know, just, I mean, celebrating Sylvia Fowles, which is, ah, just what a great player. I mean, I have, I have a friend who has just started to get into the WNBA, he's a big NBA fan. And he was at the game yesterday and he comes over to me after they have the presentation uh, of her flowers before the game. And he's like, so um, should I care about this player? And I was like, I mean, only like the leading rebounder and best center in WMA history. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Someone to watch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And just so happens to be what, four, four-time defensive player? Yeah. Does that sound right? Yeah. Man. Yeah. No, it's, you know, it. it, it is it is so true. She just brightens every room she she comes into and. I certainly will cherish, you know, the last last few games we we have of her in Target Center, and and man, it, it's going to be hard not to not to hold back tears um, for for everybody in that arena, from from players, event staff, coaches, fans, everybody involved um, for that for that last game against the Storm, and hopefully we'll get we'll get playoffs still at Target Center one last time, but but man, they they've got they've got some work to do if if, if they want that to happen. Thank you again for your time, Jack. I really appreciate it. Is there anything that you want to share about what you're working on or anything you want to plug links coverage related for the listeners yeah. of this pod? Yeah. Yeah. We, we recap every game at Canis uh, every links game. Um, and I'm sure we'll have, we'll have more on Sylvia Fowles. Um, you know, as we come down the stretch here, I'm, I haven't started writing anything because I don't want to, I don't want to believe that 
the links aren't going to make the playoffs and we're not going to get to send Sylvia Fowles out the way that, that we all want to, but yeah, regardless of what happens, we'll have, we'll have plenty on, on, um, on Syl and in her retirement. Um, and hopefully, hopefully a resurgent links playoff run, you know, no matter how far they get, we'll be, we'll be up at, uh, canadasupers.com. Yeah. Well, I'm always rooting for the best riders to get the longest playoff runs. So um, <laughs> that wouldn't be such a bad thing in Minnesota. <laughs> No, no, it would not. All right. Thanks again, Jack. Yeah, thank you so much. 